Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. Jesus lived in an area occupied by the mighty Roman Empire, ruled by an autocratic emperor. Scholar of ancient Rome, Mary Beard, explains how the system of one-man rule was established, operated, and flourished at the time of Jesus' birth, during his adult life, and the subsequent early Christian movement. What actually is the emperor of the Roman Empire in terms of ruling the Roman world throughout that period of empire? When the system of one-man rule is established at Rome, bit of a prequel under Julius Caesar, but then particularly by Augustus, it's established as a very delicate balancing act. It's kind of a little bit ambiguous from the very beginning. What actually is the emperor? Is he a king? Well, no, he's not a king. Is he one of us? Well, he claims to be one of us, but he isn't really. So there's always a debate, I think, about what actually the emperor is doing. In some ways, that makes it for a historian, I think, more interesting because they never stop trying to negotiate the boundary between one sort of ruler and another. And emperors are always in part improvising. It's an empire of of improvisation in some ways against a historical background. Tradition for talking about emperors has been very much to individualize them and is a, a distinguished biographical tradition, no, in which emperors are deemed good or bad, their virtues or their vices are laid out in lurid detail, both in the ancient world and in the modern, as if somehow they were really very, very different one from another. Now, I think in part that's true. Every system of rule, monarchy, whatever, has its difference. They're not identical. But as the system gets established, and Augustus has 40 years to establish it, he's bloody lucky, actually, you find that, in a sense, for all the improvisations, these guys are doing much the same job in terms of ruling the Roman world throughout that period of empire. I found an unlikely support for this view in the person of Marcus Aurelius, best-selling author of the meditation, second century CE emperor. And he looks back at his predecessors and he says, basically, same play, different cast. It's not just one man in the end. There is usually one man at the top as the figurehead and believed to be the source of power, influence and control. But also, I mean, one of the basic rules of monarchy and autocracy, if it's in any context larger than a village, is that no emperor, no king rules by himself. So you've got an enormous infrastructure of palace servants, enslaved people, provincial governors, soldiers. The numbers in the army are closer to half a million than a quarter of a million. And that is the one place where Rome doesn't stint on manpower. It might have few administrators in the sense per head of the population. Got a lot of soldiers. And the one thing that the emperor is worried about is that they turn on him. So absolutely fundamentally, he has to keep them sweet. And he does it by visiting them. He does it by mocking in, by being one of the lads, by saying, we can all eat the same food. I do like this camp-made bread that you're serving me. Because if they turn on him, then he's finished. Now, in many ways, Rome is a rather lean empire in that respect, that in terms of administrators on the ground in the distant parts of the empire, there's rather few. And in some ways, this empire is being run sort of on a shoestring with a lot of razzmatazz symbolically, with an absolutely ruthless army which can move where it needs, 
But otherwise, for all its history, really, Rome had been pretty happy if there was no trouble. Rome's kind of major priority is no trouble. And the way they guarantee no trouble under one-man rule is by collaborating with the existing local elite, who in some ways do their dirty work for them, you know, including raising the taxes and that kind of stuff. So you've got a huge presence of the image of the emperor, and yet actually, well, how can you have a hands-on control when you're three months away from the people on the margins? You can't get an instruction there and back. So it's wonderfully complicated in that way. I think we tend to overestimate the bad and the mad. I think even a rather limited sense of hands-on rule that you find with the Roman emperors. I mean, it makes no sense to think that you've got 300 years of one psychopath after the next at the centre. I don't think that's how the Roman world is being run. And I think a lot of the stories about madness and badness are not necessarily concocted, but they are given a lot of airtime after the emperor has ruled. You have to see the Roman Empire as, in some ways, absolutely not as we often think about it. We kind of think the emperor decides to do this. There's a policy for that or whatever. I think there's very little policy and there's very little big decision making in the Roman Empire, particularly by the emperor. Augustus, first proper emperor, after suffering a terrible defeat in Germany, thinks that everything's got a bit too thinly spread. And he says, we shouldn't expand the empire anymore. That's the end of expansion. And he's supposed to have left that as a kind of instruction for his successor. Now, the problem was that Rome, from way back, had seen the biggest form of glory that any Roman could acquire in terms of military conquest. So they were caught there. They'd been told not to expand. They could see it was dangerous to expand. And yet they also needed to look like conquering heroes. Now, partly they do that by what people have called little vanity conquests. Now, vanity conquests, and it's perhaps a bit misleading because there were a hell of a lot of people got killed in those vanity conquests. But you're picking off small areas to claim a great victory. I think also we're very used to seeing hundreds of statues of Roman emperors all dressed up in armour, looking as if they're heroic leaders of their troops. And some of them were. But I came to think that in some ways those military images were almost a substitute for military activity, not a record of it. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. One way of seeing the Roman emperor, and I think it has in certainly in recent academic literature been a bit too overemphasized, is actually to see him really as someone who receives letters, letters, begging letters, petitions. That what the Roman emperor, in one view, and I think it's not entirely wrong, governs by responding. It's a government of correspondence. 
So the idea is that, in a sense, the emperor is, at least ideologically, it cannot possibly be true, factually, is available to all the subjects of the empire. That anybody, in theory, can send him a letter, send him a petition, or ask for him to look at their legal cases, right down to sort of apparently trivial things like lost cows or someone who's inadvertently killed by a falling chamber pot in a city in what is now Turkey. We see emperors judging those kind of things. And one of the ways of kind of thinking about them branding them is to think of them as pen pushers as much as libertine. That's much less glamorous for us, but I think that so often when Roman writers write about emperors, they imagine them pen stylists in hand. Weapon is a pen. We have to imagine the emperor at his correspondence. Much of it would have been written by somebody else. Much of it, he might just have put a tick at the bottom. Much of it might have got sent out under his name and he never saw it. So there's all sorts of help and infrastructure, and yet the emperor is seen to be the guy that you can go to and that will respond. You're emperor because you're seen to be emperor. There's a very, very dangerous dividing line between seeming to be a tyrant and seeming to be emperor, but you have to make a splash. I mean, when Augustus basically lays down a manifesto for one-man rule, one of the things you have to do is you have to give people money not just shows and spectacles and free wheat. You have to give people money. Augustus is very clear that you give a lot of cash, obeying one of the templates of imperial rule. We know these emperors in some ways very intimately. You get, in a funny way, very close up. But in the end, what it was like to be that ordinary bloke who found himself or wanted to be or had plotted to be, however limited it was, the ruler of the Roman world, I think it is always just outside your grasp. Let's try sometimes seeing this from his point of view. We're so used to telling the stories of megalomania. Although some of these emperors were horrible in the system, in some ways, the system of power and violence that underpins it is, to me, extremely distasteful. Augustus as the first emperor ruled for 40 years. If Augustus had died five years in, I think the story of the Roman Empire would be very different. Those individuals who ended up ruling the Roman world, it wasn't a great job, you know. And some people turned it down wisely. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. 
Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.